Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome to episode six of the SOB podcast, the son of a bitch. I am the bitch, Shannon Livingston. And And I'm the son, Joe Labosco. We've got to get that intro right. I don't think we've done one We're never going to get the intro right, and that's the best part. <laughs> we're just stumbling through it every time, but at least we're having a good time. So this is episode six. How's it going for you so far? I'm having fun. Really? Because you have that poker face. I can't really tell. That, well, the mechanism I use to keep people away from me. That's how you survive. But yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. This might change that, but we'll yeah, see. I was gonna say, and now we're gonna slow it down a little bit. So this is like the slow dance at the prom. We've talked about kind of some of these sensational or. I didn't go to prom. I went <clears> fishing <throat> that night. Oh well, I went to prom with a beautiful gay friend of mine, and he ended up making out with his boyfriend, and I sat in the car and drank Southern Comfort or something awful. So I don't feel like you Mad missed dog a whole 2020. lot. Twenty twenty. I I did cause a stir in my little high school in Grampia, Missouri. Those Some of those boys didn't like a gay boy coming. And looking back now, back on that time, that was, gosh, 91 was my senior prom. How much things have changed? That would not have been allowed at all when, you know, I was kind of fighting that battle by myself. You're a real trailblazer. Well, and of course, that's what this episode is about. And mm-hmm. I don't ever think about myself that way of being a trailblazer, a revolutionary or ahead of my time or any of that. I just really operate off of instinct. And I feel like I have a good moral compass. I know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And I, I try to do what's right. And that's not always what's popular. Well, some people have good instincts and some people have bad instincts and most people have a mix of both depending on the situation. And even when you try to do the right thing, sometimes it doesn't come out. You're not always going to. Yeah, you know. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about If life was easy and you came out on top with every decision you made. Okay. Can I talk about the topic before you start rolling into it? Thanks. So today we're going to talk about open adoption. And how I had the first legal open adoption in Missouri's history, so we think. I did talk to the attorney that handled it last week, and he said that there's a very good chance, but he couldn't absolutely be 100% positive. So I I do want to put that disclaimer on there. But it was in 1992, and I had a full-on discussion with him about what adoption was then, what it is now, and how my case changed it. So you obviously are the child that I didn't put up for adoption. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Feeling pretty lucky? No comment. Well, I mean, I don't know it, how it, I feel about that. It's to be a honest. rare situation that, that you are in because you it, it has been an open adoption and it was something that you grew up with. Yeah. It has changed over the years, our relationship with her and, and her family. And we have just kind of tried to figure it out as we've gone along. And so I don't think a lot of people have really considered how it has affected you. And I know that we're not going to talk about your relationship with your sister because mm-hmm. that is is something that is uh, sacred to you. And before we even started doing the show, yeah, you said that, that was, was one of the topics that was off limits. So I, I respect that. And if we get yeah. into something touchy, just help me. But being an only child, mm-hmm. 
Kind, kind of. of. <laughs> yeah. And, That's what and I having people, tell people ask you, right, do you have siblings? How do you answer that question? I tell them yes. Yeah? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, like, pretend she doesn't exist or anything. You know, it, it, depending on the person and how far I, re- you know, it depends on how much have I invested in having this conversation with this person? Right. How much do I care that you understand what the parameters were and are and of this complex do relationship. You, do you tell people what she does now? Sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's not something that I have a problem with or am ashamed of, but I, some people, I just feel it's none of their business. So she's, uh, I don't know if she's currently doing Playboy, but she has been Playboy model and has worked for them in uh, several capacities, apparently. She doesn't speak to me anymore. And so whenever I, I want current pictures of her, I want to see what's going on. I can actually Google her, Google her uh, her stage name and then find all these pictures. But then I have to kind of crop them because she's usually naked. So when people want to see pictures, it's a lot of neck up. But not like on her Instagram. Those are all clothing lines and music videos. And, you know, not everything she does is... Nude modeling. Right. And she's older. And so that's not going to be something that, you know, you're probably going to do for a long time. Mm -hmm. She, um, I think, has done some fitness stuff, too. But the point is, it's a weird situation that she was raised in a different house with different parents. And it's a weird situation that she is modeling and has done Playboy. And so roll all of that up. And how much do you share? How much? I generally don't go into too much detail for people who aren't in my intimate circle of friends, mm-hmm. people I trust, you know, I, and that's a short list. I really like you. If people ask me how many kids I have, I say two mm-hmm. and then I explain it. And part of that is, I admit, I do kind of like the shock value on people's faces because people expect the birth mother to be a cracked out mess and abandon the child and go off and yeah, party the, the, forever. The stigma of adoption and the minimal understanding that people have that there are different types of agreements. Well, but now there are. Of adoption. Now there well, are. Right. But yeah, 30 years ago, not so much, but. Not at all. Yeah. It was not legal. So that's a great place for me to start my story. Let's uh-huh. talk about how this whole thing happened instead of just how it has affected us now. So I was 18 years old and uh, dating the same boy for months, a couple years, whatever it had been. And it got pregnant and didn't really think about what I wanted to do so much. I, I more felt like this is it. This is what I wanted to do. And I knew that I wanted to continue that pregnancy so that she could be adopted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, of course, it brought a lot of a lot of discussion about abortion gets entered into it. And that's not what it was about. It was about following my instinct, knowing for some reason that this child needed to to exist, needed to be born, and needed to create a family. So I went forward with the pregnancy and was in school at the time. And I was taking, I think, a full load. I had like five classes at a local school. And I had started to show and was going through an adoption agency in Kansas City trying to find prospective parents. And I met this woman, we'll call her Jan. So Jan was in my philosophy and my sociology classes. And In my sociology class, the professor said, these are the different ways that a family can be formed. We talk about adoption. She said something about the law in Missouri, and I raised my hand and corrected her. Of course, I've always been that jerk. So I said, you know, excuse me, no, this, you know, I'm actually going through that right now with this child. And so the class became aware that my pregnancy was going to result in in adoption. 
So after class, Jan stopped by and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I think what you're doing is great. My husband and I have tried I think eight or nine times to have embryos implanted. We tried to adopt and finally gave up the process and, you know, just great job. Thank, thank you for what you're doing. And that was it. So Jan and I got to know each other a little better through these classes. We had a project together. My boyfriend went with me over to her house. We met her husband, who we'll call Larry. So Jan and Larry and my boyfriend and I finally got to the point where we had the conversation. And I said, why don't you just adopt this baby? And I don't even think it was that much of a conversation. It was just kind of the relationship had evolved to Mm -hmm. that point. And so they retained an attorney and started looking into, was that even a legal possibility? Because, you know, we knew each other and people weren't doing that. So what seems normal now in Kansas City, Missouri in 1992, that was not being done. So they had a very progressive, very well-versed adoption attorney who I, like I said, I spoke to last week, Mm -hmm. which is amazing to me. It was It was very cool. And he was just such a great guy and and super helpful. So he actually went to the judge in Jackson County and got permission to hear our case and said, this is what's going on. And this is where we want it to go. This is, you know, what's going to happen. And so we think that that is the first legal open adoption case in in Missouri's history. And now they have these PACAs, uh, parental for post-adoption something agreement where, you know, the parents really lay out on on the adoptive parents and the birth parents lay out, okay, we're going to have this much contact. We're going to, you know, get these pictures and whatever. But there was none of that. Our deal was I signed away my rights. The father also signed away his rights. And that was it. We had a handshake deal that I would be involved. And they did honor it for a long time. We just kind of had to feel our way out. It was such a a unique arrangement that figuring it out legally even was very cumbersome. You know, my daughter had to be put into a foster home for two weeks after she was born. So knowing what we do about child development and bonding and, right, the first two weeks of life, she's taken from me, put into a foster home for two weeks, and then allowed to go home with her parents Jan and and Larry, and they were allowed to visit the foster home during those two weeks, but, you know, still not the same, just not the same. So I hope that that has changed as well. But at the time, again, we were doing everything that we could legally and figuring it out. And for whatever reason, that's how the courts operated. There was going to be two weeks time between me signing over my rights and them signing up for their rights or, you know, whatever it was for, you know, signing the adoption. And so for those two weeks, she was in foster care. And I did receive a a lovely letter, which I still have, from that foster parent, which told me that she ate more than any baby she had ever taken care of. And then after you were born, Joe, and you did the same thing, I just thought that was very funny. Apparently, I produce children that like to eat. That is in our DNA. I still have mixed feelings over not just the personal situation that, you know, we dealt with, but the concept of open adoption. And I think I always will. You know, I don't know that there is a right way to go about this. It's a very circumstantial well, so type let's, of thing. So let's go back and talk about what happened in our case. 
you and your sister are only two years apart, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is something that was really difficult for her to accept. And I don't blame her. Well, you know, the <laughs> whole thing is difficult to accept, yeah. but life happens and people have asked me, you know, why would you place her for adoption and then just two years later have Joe and keep him? Well, because I had already put a baby up for adoption, you know, when the second one comes around. Confirmation bias, people don't. Um, and it was it. different Different men, of course, a different situation in life. I really did not think I was capable of taking care of her. And I knew that I didn't have any support. My parents said either have an abortion or marry him and raise the baby, but we're not going to have any part of this. We're not going to have, we're not going to support you. We're not, we're not going to support you and a baby. Like this is not our, our responsibility. So I knew I was very much alone in that regard. And, you know, by the time I got pregnant with you, I had lived in, you know, another city and it was, it was just self-sufficient, had, had been out in the world. From my perspective, I still am not sure. Do I feel grateful? Do I feel guilty? There, there's a lot of mixed emotions in there well, that people... I don't, what would you feel guilty for? Things that are out of my control, being but, the one that I but kept. you know that that feeling is still there. Survivor's guilt, in yeah. a sense. See, I have guilt because I chose the parents. So while I thought at the time that mm-hmm. was the best part of it, it ended up being the part I that bit me in the ass. I can't accept that you did what seemed what looked like the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know that it wasn't. You know what what happened years later. The well, we weren't really around control. for the teen years. So when but, she was younger yeah. and you were younger, we all lived in Kansas City. We would spend occasional holidays, barbecues, shopping yeah, and days. everything seemed like it was great. You know? And I would always wait to be invited. I, I did not invite myself. I let them set the pace. And like I said, they were very respectful of the Absolutely. agreement and very open. But there was no bond between my daughter and, and me in that typical sense. And I think some of that was deliberate. Some of it was natural. I think she also has our, I don't know what you would call it, not aloofness, but Barrier. Um, whatever it is. Yeah, there's there's something there I'm that sure she we're not had to, sweet, to touchy-feely people yeah. anyway. Um, we're kind of more reserved and, and stoic. but So we just never really had a, a deep bond. And it was really more about me just being able to watch that she had a good life and me being accessible if she ever needed information or wanted to have a conversation, which it still is. You know, she does not want to have a conversation at this point that I know of. We we haven't spoken and things the, the took channel's a, still open. Things took a turn, which we'll we'll go into. Um yeah. so you don't have to. It's my life and I get to discuss it. And if people wanted to have me talk differently about them, then they would have acted differently. So there. So we're in Kansas City. We all kind of saw each other, and then we moved. You and I moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. They moved to Colorado. And then we kind of started to get emails every once in a while. They, they came to visit for your birthday, and that was nice. That was when you were, what, 12? 11. You going to be pissed off at me now? No. Oh, okay. So we moved to Florida they moved to Colorado. We didn't really see each other that often. And she got older mm-hmm. and rebellious and they started to have different issues. And my biggest regret really is when she was 16 and they chose to send her away 
to some type of a residential program. And I did not agree with it. You know, I didn't agree with a lot of the parenting. And I kept my mouth shut because that was the agreement that I signed away my rights. And I was also a parent and didn't want anybody telling me what they thought about my parenting. So, you know, I also just had a general respect that, yes, they were her parents. I gave birth to her. Yeah. But that was her mother. They make the day-to-day decision. Yes. So I, I really did respect that, but I kind of wish that I would not have, talking about guilt, I kind of wish that I would not have respected it so much, and I would have at least told them that I did not agree with that decision to send her away. I acted like I agreed, and I feel like that's where, that's where the crack happened. I don't know what else to call it, because we really were kind of disconnected, living life, working things out, and then all of a sudden get an email telling me from her mother, telling me how you know much my daughter hates me and is embarrassed by me and how much I, I control you and I shouldn't... Consider the source. And I shouldn't do... Well, they did consider the source, and that's the woman that I chose I to give my baby to. So kind of a complicated email and situation to be in. And then I think shortly after she emailed you which I was really ready to get on a plane. And this was eight years ago because it was my 40th birthday. I really was ready to get on a plane and have a face-to-face conversation with her because I felt so betrayed that she broke her promise to take care of the first child the way that she promised to do. And then she tried to harm my second child. It was just unbelievable to me. So again, very complex situation. Trying not to piss off this woman that is the gateway to seeing my daughter and just trying to keep things respectful but then as my daughter got older and she became an adult you know I don't have a need for her mother you know to be the the gateway anymore I would still have a conversation if she wanted to work out things but I have no idea honestly what what her needs were what she told our daughter how things fell apart and I don't really even know that it matters so much because we didn't have that strong bond maybe that's all for the better you know and these are all the complicated things that happen with open adoption there's a lot of complicated feelings that i have about everyone involved that will probably never go away they're not supposed to because you're not a robot yeah but uh, sometimes i wish they would that's what drugs and alcohol are (laughs) for yeah exactly my perspective while i get what you're saying about how you know you looked at it as just a bystander making sure everything's going not, maybe not according to plan because there wasn't a plan, but that things aren't going completely off the rails, which of course they eventually did. But I was at the time, I was more looking for a bond that mm-hmm. I didn't have. Because you are only two years Still apart. don't have. Yeah, you didn't you know. do anything wrong. Right. You didn't have any more say in anything than she did. I didn't do anything wrong, but I still... I also didn't do anything wrong, by the way. It would be nice if I was treated that way. You didn't do anything wrong, but you you had more of a say in what was going on, or you know, maybe I not didn't a say. Have any say in it. I, right. was, I uh, became a threat to you her. You didn't have I a think. say in what was going on, but you were more able to articulate and make your thoughts and feelings known mm-hmm. than I was at sure. twelve years old. Right. So while I didn't had took no part in making these decisions, I do still carry some sort of responsibility of maybe I should have said something, done something. I, I don't know. But, but you have said something and you have done something. You make every effort to stay in contact. And to an extent still do. Yeah, and, we've and had to, isolated conversations. And to not be intrusive, but just be available. I have no animosity. Uh, you know, maybe I should for certain people, but I just don't think that's productive. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm more interested in looking towards the future than... And she's an adult than now. breaking like, down the past. So if she doesn't want a relationship now as a, a grown person, you can't keep laying that at the feet of, of her parents. Exactly. So I understand why she may have some raw feelings about certain things, whether they're valid or not. She only knows what she's been told. Well, I so think, I don't necessarily hold that against her. But I think that having raw feelings about being adopted is natural and normal. And instead in the society, we tell adopted children how lucky they are. You're lucky you were chosen. And especially being part of an open adoption, and my daughter does have a different ethnic background. Ethnic, okay, so she looks different than her adoptive parents. I mean, she looks different than me too. But mm-hmm. you know, she looks different. She's always being reminded that she's adopted, and then told that she's supposed to be super happy about yeah, that. Which sounds exhausting and annoying. Right, and and you know, I think that there was really a certain extent, a certain amount of exploitation. You know, it always kind of felt like a photo op, and like, a, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm letting the birth mother be around. And isn't this great? Well, isn't this progressive? In reality, there was no real bond or any real respect. Whenever I have the conversation with people about this situation, it, it, it usually happens in two phases. First, I explain to them what the original parameters were and how that whole thing worked. That she was supposed to go to college, be raised with freedom. Well, of her no, I'm just talking about just the initial oh. setup of contact and where she was and where we were and Mm -hmm. but then they say oh so you have like a normal healthy close connection with your sibling I'm like well no it's not that simple it's not that easy that's just not how it worked out and we never had a conversation about it you know anytime we were around it was going out to lunch going to a movie Mm -hmm. it's not like well let's let's sit down and have a touchy-feely conversation about your feelings at the time when that was an option I was really too young to articulate whatever my feelings were always an option it's an option now which is what I've told it's an option yeah well yeah but they you know I'm saying when they're readily accessible and in the room mm-hmm. when that was the oh, case okay. yeah I couldn't process how I felt about that which is something I do regret because I you know even that conversation needed to happen at some but point I think it's even more difficult when that's your norm you were born into that pre-existing situation yeah and so it's not like your world changed and then you had to no, really I, think about how that affected you I don't know what it's like to have a normal sibling is someone that you live with and love and hate at the same time. Like I, I never got that. I never will. And you know, I always wanted to be an only child. I'm yeah, the middle right. child. So, well, and I always wanted go. to be an only child you with know. my own bathroom and my own space. Th- th- there's no perfect way to go about these sorts of things. Uh, Do you think she would have been better off had it been closed? You think she would have turned out differently? I don't know. Not that there's anything wrong with how she's turned out. I have no yeah, idea, no, she, well, to be quite honest. As far as I can tell, whatever she's doing, she's doing it well and right, being right. successful. Yeah, I, you know, I have no issue with Playboy. I, I ran strip clubs for years. I think women have every right to use their, their looks, their sexuality, whatever. I just hope that she can leverage that into a lasting, solid business. That's, well, I, she I has want her to have a good job. life. I don't that was know. the whole point. The she whole has point. A, she has a day job. I don't know what it is at this point, but she's not just jet-setting, playing Kardashian all over the country all the time she lives a mm-hmm. grounded life to an extent Focus so i have a that. problem with how adopted adopted children are 
are treated. And I, I read a really interesting article about it. These are valid feelings of being ripped away from your DNA, whether Absolutely. that's open or not. You have no you know, no mm-hmm. say in that. And so I think that that's something that's probably never been addressed. It is something that I've, I've said to her, like, hey, I, I don't need to do any talking. I can just listen. I'm sure you have things to say to me because she is very angry or was the last time mm-hmm. we had any interaction. I mean, you can break it down in so many ways. Like, you know, would it have been better to keep it closed and let her live her life with that other family? Maybe. Would it have been better if you just took the shot and said, you know what, I'm going to try and raise this baby the best I can? Maybe. I don't know. We're never going to know. I don't know either, but I do feel, and I discussed this with the attorney, I do feel like open adoption, it may not be right for every situation, but I do feel that it, it has changed somewhat the face of birth mothers. I will always fight for the respect of birth mothers. It is not easy. It is not something that you do and don't ever think about. There's no party afterwards. I was 18 and pregnant and had to deal with people saying, oh, babies having babies. You know, I'm just trying to do the right thing. And I have people criticizing me for the six months that I was showing. I was going to college alongside my high school friends, pregnant. It was not an easy process. It was not easy to change the law. It was not. not. My family was not supportive. There was no therapy for me, which, you know, finding out later that was supposed to be part of the deal never offered to me. At the same time, statistically, I think you are kind of the exception to the normal rule. Well, if we didn't treat birth mothers like shit, maybe fewer women would have abortions or choose to keep children that they don't think they can raise properly. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just, you know, a lot of times why that option is even put on the table is because it's not always the birth mother. Sometimes it's the father. Sometimes it's both of them. Sometimes they have no familial support. You know, like there's a lot of different things going on. But I think statistics would show that most of the time when a child is put up for adoption, open or not, it's because the birth family doesn't have their shit together. And the kid is at least seen by the judicial system to be better off. When I talked to that attorney, and this is his personal opinion, but he's seen tons of adoptions through decades. Sure. He said that he thought one-fifth of birth mothers fit into the cracked out, complete mess, irresponsible, multiple children in the system, you know, Mm. they birth them and leave them category. And then maybe a fifth of the birth mothers, one out of five, would be in the manipulative category. You know, they're having babies to sell them. They're getting the best deal. And that's another side of open adoption now is that being exploited. And so I'm sure it is. Yes. And so we had a whole conversation, which it was before. Yeah. Even before open adoption was legal, you had $40,000 consultation Mm -hmm. fees and all kinds of other things. And so everything is is good and bad, I think. Well, I guess it's very circumstantial. You know, bad people have babies too, unfortunately. And I think we also have to stop holding up adoptive parents as saviors they're not all great parents you know we would like to think that that they are but they're not and I'm not talking about my daughter's Mm, parents specifically but there I have friends that were adopted that were horribly abused for years people watch too much tv you know they they see the story about the the boy who free willy is that kid is his looking for his parents and then the adoption agency guy says look these are good people Your mother's never coming back. She doesn't care about you, like, you know, except what's happening. But Mm -hmm. there are times where they may look like good people because they have a nice house and new cars and can send you to a fancy school and whatever. But, you know, but that doesn't. 
Yeah. There's a lot more going on. You know, when you're making someone responsible for your life, you really need to do your homework. And there's usually not enough time to really do that. Yeah, I was pregnant. I was so very pregnant. There was no internet. kind of just gambling. You know, I went to their house. I had multiple conversations. I met both of their parents. And really, I was very kind of sheltered at that point. You know, this was before I went out into the big bad world and did all this crazy stuff. I had not been in outside of my smaller town, my suburb of Kansas City that much. I, I knew what I saw on TV and movies and not a whole lot of examples for me to, to go off of. And so I did kind of think, oh, this is this is going to be like this ideal, as ideal as possible well, and situation. That, I feel like that's part of the problem. And, you know, this can tie back into... The comedy conversation we had earlier of if all you're portraying is this idyllic, mm-hmm. you know, Norman Rockwell type of vision of society, you're not doing anyone any favors. Well, I talked to the attorney about the way that, again, the way I was treated when I was pregnant. And I said, you know, even when I was delivering, they were yelling at me because they asked me what formula she was going to be on. And I said, I don't know. The adoptive mother is in the waiting room. She's the one who has met with the pediatrician and and worked Mm. that out. Please go ask her. And as soon as they found out that she was being adopted, the whole, the tone in the room absolutely changed. And literally as I'm pushing, the doctor is saying, you know, you don't have to give this baby away and you have time to think about it. You don't have to do this. You know, is somebody forcing you? And, and I was like, can I just push this kid out first? And I took it so personally. Yeah. But looking back almost 30 years later. They're probably, they were. They thought something nefarious right, was going on. doctor was doing what they thought was because right. Because that was not legal. And again, I'm just so oblivious to being, a, you know, any type of a trailblazer or having a new situation. It's just what I thought needed to happen. So I didn't think, oh, this is a new thing. These mm-hmm. people are not ready for this. These people have not seen this. This is not normal to them. And so I've had to really look back as an adult with a different perspective on, you know, not just hindsight, but a different perspective on everything that happened, how I was treated, what the law was, decisions that I made. And I can't go back. And I do think that I did the best that I could. I think she had a decent life. I think, you know, you had a decent life, made mistakes there too. And so it is what it is. that's just part of the deal. You know, life is messy. But that's what I really want to get across to people. Life is messy and life is imperfect. And you do the best that you can. And it doesn't always work out in in the way that you think, but you have to keep moving on. And when you see somebody else doing something that looks different or revolutionary, you know, don't judge. Leave them alone. Have some compassion. Have some compassion for what's going on. It goes a little deeper than what you think. Or just mind your own business. Well, it it also doesn't hurt to learn from people. So well, yes, but you know, in terms of like, well, you should make that. Like, no, don't tell me what decision I need to make. Like, uh, you know, I'm the one dealing with the consequence. You want to have a conversation and share your opinion on something, sure. But well, it's and that's a good point. It's also very different for me now to be able to stand up and say, yes, I I am a birth parent. When I was, you know, let's say 25 and she was four years old, and I was living on Medicaid with you, making yeah. cash. People thought, my God, what a nightmare you are. Thank God you you gave her away. But as soon as I had my first Mercedes and we lived in a, a gated neighborhood and I'm wearing suits, and which is really, I think, when the problems started with her adoptive 
mother. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't be the savior anymore, that's a problem. Now it's a different situation, and now you just have to paint that woman as terrible, which she did. And some of it is true. I'll, I'll cop to that. It's not all a lie, but I'm horrible in my own ways, not always the ways that other people portray me to be. Would you agree with that? I just want her and other people in similar situations to be happy day to day, live their lives. That's really my biggest concern. If you, you know, if I can be a part of your life, great. If not, okay. But just, you know, do the best you can. That's what I feel like. That's what most, hopefully that's what most people are doing is what they think is right. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't work. You may be changing the rules and the guidelines for everybody by doing what you think is right, whether that's open adoption or cannabis legalization or any of the other things that that I've been involved in. I am proud of my decision. It was messy. It will always be messy. But that is life. I'm just always amazed that other people don't get that the complexity of life and the complexity of every single situation that and that's of course why you can't judge you don't know the million pieces Mm -hmm. of that situation that puts it together well i think that there's a lot of people who don't uh, understand or want to accept that life is complex it's easier for people to put everything in a box and say this is right this is wrong well it's usually not that simple well and it's easier to keep things private and and not talk about them to not podcast yeah, I mean, well, about the the baby you gave away or like I you said, know to have the abortion and, uh, and not be a visible like topic I said, of discussion when, when this topic comes up for me at least with people I take a second to think about how much do I want you to know? How much are you going to understand? How long am I going to spend explaining things that I've, that you're still not going to understand? Like it it just, is this worth my time? But I think it is because I think it's an important conversation, which is why we're having it now. Well, yeah. And I, most of the time, well, yeah. And most of the time I I do try to explain in uh, layman's terms, what happened, how I feel about it, where things are now. Because most people are just curious and have a, a, weird situation. a good mindset. Yeah, but the problem is when they start making assumptions. Yes, which about, they always do. About, you know, what kind of relationship we have or don't have and why or, you know, who did the right thing. Like, nobody... Who did the right thing is always going to, to depend on who's talking. Well... I would like to think that I did the right thing and that that is not uh, Yeah, well, yes, but again, a subjective you know, thing. But there's uh, consequences to doing what you think is the right thing is my point. Like doing the right thing isn't always going to result in the outcome that you foresaw. Mm-hmm. So if right or wrong just depends on how it ends up, then but it, it's but a roll of the dice. But that's the whole thing that we're talking about. It's not how it ends up. Right or wrong is in the moment. Do you trust yeah. yourself? Do you trust your morals? Do you, you know, do you talk to yourself like that? Do you, are you able to look in a mirror? Is that important to you? And that has always been something that has driven me. Every decision I have made, legal or illegal, do I feel this is the right thing? The absolute right, moral, best decision that I can make at this point in my life. And that, that was it. And that's what I did. So I'm proud of it. So I think that's a good place to leave it. And I think you're done talking about it anyway. And, and I thank you for even going there with me because I know that it is very sensitive for you. And I think I have talked about it a lot more than you have. And mm. so, you know, I have a lot more practice. And I do respect your individual relationship with her. I, I always have. And so we'll just keep that insulated and to mm, you. But thank you good. for talking about the open adoption topic just generally. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time. Joe, you want to take us out? 
or not? Think before you talk. Think before you judge. Make your own decisions and let other people make theirs. Goodbye. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.